Go for Leadership, the podcast with Daniel and Gerd. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Go for Leadership podcast. And I can introduce Brian McCarty, who is our guest today. Go for Leadership interviews. Welcome, Brian. Hi, Daniel. Lovely to be here. Perfect. And like always, uh, it would be great that you give me a quick introduction in 30 seconds, who you are and what you do. Well, I'm the founder of a company, uh, a consultancy based here in Barcelona, Spain, called Performing Ideas. And basically, we help people form and perform their ideas. Um, we help them get their best work out into the world. And we do that in the areas of leadership, communication, and innovation. Awesome. And uh, leadership is, of course, our our key so uh, my next question would go, how would you define leadership or what, what, what does leadership mean to you? Uh, so I, I won't define leadership because I, I don't like definitions of leadership. Also, I think they're kind of boring. Everyone gives the same definitions. I would say um, one thing that's often forgotten about leadership, which is that um, we often, we, when people talk about leadership, they talk about the leader leading a group of people but i think they have, we often forget that the leader is usually in the middle that there's people above the leader and there's people below the leader and as a leader you have to keep two sets of people happy and sometimes or maybe even often the desires or the aims of those two groups of people aren't exactly aligned so you might have you know, the top bosses in a company, you're a leader in a company, but you've got the executive committee above you. And the executive committee perhaps are asking you to implement certain things that maybe go against what your team want. So it's this careful balancing between trying to make both sets of people, both groups of people happy. And there's no right or wrong answer to that. It's a balancing act. And I think that's something that's often forgotten about in leadership. I think that's a great aspect that we have not touched yet in, in our in our uh, podcast because, um, like you said, you have so many stakeholders and most likely it not only is your boss or your employees, it's maybe even more. You have maybe a, a supervisory board that, that you need to, let's say, um, uh, kind of uh, fulfill the needs. Maybe you have also clients uh, in, a, in a more client-oriented role. How do you think as a leader you can, um, let's say, Uh, be still yourself by serving all these different stakeholders uh, and, and let's say come to your uh, or define your leadership style because I think all the different groups like you said have different needs and different aspects that, that require stuff or, or aspects from you how, how would you describe as a good way to be still yourself but um, at the same time fulfill their different needs um. Well, I suppose you have to have a very clear set of values and know what it is that you think is right and what is wrong. And you try your best not to do what is wrong. And um, you kind of have your own moral compass in terms of values. Um, because, of course, there are many decisions that are not major decisions and maybe there are minor decisions um, but often decisions, even the big, even the small ones, they're they're gonna you're gonna run into conflict with them. 
And maybe maybe this is one of the aspects of a leader, which is that at the end of the day, as the leader, you have to, the, the buck stops with you, as they say. You're the one that has to make that final decision. And maybe you're not going to make everyone happy. Um, so you need to justify it to yourself while you're making these decisions. Um, I think the other thing is that you need to be able to see that that world of, competing interests that are revolving around you sometimes we you know in a lot of leadership stuff that i see um it's they talk about you know um leading self leading yourself which is hugely important and then it's it's about leading teams you know leading your team that's also very important but it's kind of forgotten that you're going to have to lead the people above you as well or maybe you don't lead them but you're going to have to make them happy and that's often left out of the equation and it's a very important part of the equation too so um i i have been in many different situations of course where maybe you have answers to your superior that that you know or already know he, he won't like how would you describe as a good approach of also in, in particular young leaders that are starting becoming let's say more experienced in their leadership and their style as well What advice would you give uh, those leaders that say that maybe need to bring a difficult message across to their superiors? Because, I mean, you always are dependent also on the superior, right, for, for your own development and, and, and job. Mm -hmm. um, so I have a lot of experience in this. I suppose this is the area where I'm most experienced and where my company is most experienced, which is in the area of communication, which is where we started. We started off in communication and then, um, later branched into um, leadership and, and in the last seven or eight years into innovation. So in terms of communication and communicating bad news, let's call it, um, there's a couple of things that are very important to take, to take into account. So first of all, if you're communicating bad news to your superiors and you're young and maybe you don't have a lot of confidence, um, there is a tendency that to just present the data, the results, not, not present any argument, not present any news, just present numbers and statistics and, 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 and hand them to, to your superiors on a plate um, as if to say, okay, you make the decision. Here's the information you need to make the decision. And that kind of, we do, so I see people doing that a lot because it means that they avoid confrontation because they're not really saying anything. They're just providing data. However, it's, you're not going to get very far in your career if you do that, because um, let's say, let's say executive committee level, when, when, when people come in to present to executive committee level, that's the last thing they want. The last thing they want is someone just presenting numbers and data, which is what happens a lot in, th in those kind of presentations. What they want is they want you, they want you, the presenter, to come in, no matter what age you are, young or old, or whatever amount of con or experience you have, but come in with an argument, come in with, um, come in with a, 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 um, a recommendation based on the data and the statistics, based on the numbers, because what they're looking for from you, they don't have the time to kind of go in depth into this data to figure out what to do. What that's why they've asked you to do it. They want you to go look at the situation, look at it rationally, logically, and suggest the course of action. Now, sometimes the thing is, of course, the problem is sometimes that course of action, you know, is going to piss them off or they're not going to be happy with it. But it's, 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 present, it's not making it personal. It's like this bit based on logic and based on reason and based on numbers, this is the course of action I would suggest. 
I mean, that, that would be the first thing I would say about presenting bad news. I mean, the second thing I would say about presenting bad news, let's call this presenting to a hostile audience. So whenever you present to a hostile audience, um, you need to spend the first, I would say, minimum third, if not half of your talk, um, if we're talking about presentations or even in conversation, you need to spend a good portion of time showing your audience, your hostile audience, that you understand why they're hostile. You understand why they're against your ideas. Show them that you understand their pain. Show it to them in such a way that halfway through they're thinking, oh my God, this guy has, I wish I was able to explain it as well as he's explained it. Like he understands perfectly how I feel. And only when you've got to that point, can you then introduce this argument, this message, this bad news that you know they're not going to like, but they have to feel that you understand them before you can do that and before you have any hope of persuading them. So those would be the two main pieces of advice based on my experience that I would give to someone presenting bad news. I think that's that's very powerful. And, and one element that I observe why uh, by the two, let's say, ways is that you as a leader or as somebody that brings this message across in, in both areas, you need a lot of uh, empathy. Um, so um, my strong belief is in particular as a leader, and I think that came also out of, of your different statements, is that Empathy is very important um, in order to be able to understand, let's say, your leader's need uh, and how you would reply to the problem that you want to solve and, and maybe also the recommendation. For somebody that maybe is, let's say, poor in, in empathy um, skills, let's say this way, how, how do you think you could um, um, use maybe certain tactics or techniques to... Um, to uh, become better in understanding the opponent's needs. Also, I mean, from a client side or from a, from a other, your superior side. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think that uh, empathy, um, just let's just call it, under, like, let's just call it understanding your audience and knowing their needs. Um, is something that, yeah, unfortunately, that's missing a lot, not just in professional, <laughs> in the professional world, but also in the personal world. Um, and it's this, I, it, it basically, it means that we, you know, so a lot of the time when we want, when we have an opportunity to speak to a group of people, like make a presentation, or we have an opportunity to meet someone we've been looking forward to meet, we get a chance to have coffee or lunch with the boss, or we get to meet that client that we've been waiting for months to get to see. And when we have that opportunity, and it's an opportunity we've been waiting for for, for a while, um, the, unfortunately, many people focus on what they want to say. How, wh what do I want to say in the short period of time I'm going to have with my audience? Um, so I've got 20 minutes. I've got a lunch with this client. Okay, so I've only got one hour and a half, I want to, what are the points I want to hit? Um, what material do I want to get across? What's my, what are my messages? And if you've just heard the last five sentences that came out of my mouth, it's all about my, my, my. Um, we put very little thought or time into thinking, into just sitting down and reflecting on, well, what are, what are they expecting from me? Um, what are their expectations coming into this meeting? What are their pain points? Um, what are they feeling 
and thinking about me before I meet them. Uh, who's spoken to them about this? Who's spoken to them about this topic before? Uh, what level of expertise do they have on the topic? How technical can I get or non-technical? And very few people do that work. So, for example, in the in the courses that I run on public speaking, which I I've run like we've uh, over eight and a half thousand people have been through our public speaking course in the last ten years. Uh, we run this, you know, I run this out of my own company. I also run it at ESA Business School on the Executive MBA, which is the number one executive MBA in the world at ESA. Um, I run it at corporate universities. Anyway, uh, that's just me plugging my company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, um, uh, in, one of the first things that we do, uh, which is always surprising for the participants in the course, is that we start off talking about the audience. Who's your audience? And we have a template um, where we do, uh, it's like an, if you want to call it an empathy template, where we, where you answer questions about the audience you're about to speak to. And this, that, that's even when you're speaking to your own team, who you know very well, you still need to answer some questions about how are they feeling about this? What do they know about the topic previously? If you, if you like, I can share this template with you because it's free for anybody to use. I, you can put a link to it in the podcast. Um, and it's very simple. It's like a one pager takes 15 minutes answer the questions and you're ready to go now you have empathy for your audience so what what i say in my courses is that if you cannot if, if you're unable to, to 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 if you're unable to imagine your audience like so if i ask you to close your eyes do you see the people you're speaking to in your mind's eye and can you see them if you can't see them you don't know them and so many times people go in and make presentations and they don't know anything about the client, about the audience they're going to speak to. All they know and all they've prepared is what they want to say. And that's only half of the story. I very like that. And I think you give a, little of, a lot of tactics and, and uh, impulses where, where to start. And I can only um, reflect on, on most likely, I've, I've seen in my life thousands of presentations on conferences, uh, in, in internal meetings. And I would say 99% of those presentations has been uh, starting from what I want to say and not what my audience want to say. And even if I maybe reflect what my audience want to say, what are the, the, the language that my audience speaks and, and how I can bring this across. And um, it starts also, um, and that's by the way, how, how we both get, uh, get together in how I present it. Uh, I mean, if I'm really... Uh, focused on my own stuff or if I'm open and, and try to uh, really understand and adapt maybe also on the audience. So uh, I, I very like uh, like uh, your ideas. Um, uh, let's maybe um, also switch a little bit uh, the gear um, and, and, and you by training a lot of leaders in their uh, presentation uh, and communication skills what maybe are in particular these days where you work remotely and you have maybe not the, the possibility of physical presence, what are the main challenges these days for the leaders in, in this remote setups to, um, to not only, let's say, bring, uh, bring empathy across, but also to show presence and interest in, 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 in the opponents, let's say, or in their, in their teams? What are the biggest mm -hmm. challenges? What do you think? 
So I think that this world that we're now living in and, and that is probably here to stay where we're going to be working from home more and more um, has, yeah, two, two main challenges. Um, the first challenge, uh, as you said, is, is, is related to your question, which is how, how to communicate and, and, and lead your team when you're not physically in the room with them. Um, and what we can do to have that, have maintain that connection with them, that emotional connection, that presence. Um, that's one side. And the, but the other side then uh, is, and I think this is kind of neglected, um, is how do we manage ourselves from home working? Um, how do we, and not only manage ourselves at home when we're working, but I think there's a major need for people to learn how to manage themselves in a digital world. So um, what do I mean by that? I mean that we're, we're, working, we're working with computers, we're working with huge amounts of information, huge, huge, huge amounts of communication. And I don't know about you, Daniel, but uh, for me, I was never taught how to organize my work. I was never taught how to organize the folders on my computer. I was never taught how to take notes. If I'm reading the newspaper and there's an interesting article and there's something that I might use in my work, how do I save that article? How do I save that idea? We all have different ways to do that. Um, some people put a bookmark. Some people copy and paste it into a Word document that they're keeping. Some people use a tool like Evernote or OneNote. But it's what I call it's like it's called a digital brain. So how do you manage your digital brain? And we I, we weren't taught how to do that. I've got an eight year old daughter. Okay, she's still a bit young, but I don't see kids in school being taught how to do that yet. And yet we most of us are working in this digital world, and we don't have the tools to organize ourselves. So that's one area. But to answer your question about how to have more presence, how to have how to maintain, let's say, that emotional connection with our team, with our audiences when we're speaking online? Well, I think, first of all, the biggest thing is to, to have an understanding of everyone's context, that we're all working from home, especially during COVID times. Let's just take the short term. We're all living through COVID. Let's be understanding towards each other. Let's So whenever I start any of my courses or talks or workshops online, the first thing I always say to everyone is, if you're at home, respect your home as a home. Don't pretend it's an office. If your child or partner walks into the room to ask you something, don't shoo them away. I mean, this is your home. And, you know, it, it, it's okay. That that can happen. If your cat jumps up on the desk, that's all right. We're, we're in our homes. Um, and so it's understandable that our homes are now a mix of workplace and personal space. Um, and we shouldn't, we should respect the personal space by allowing it when it interrupts us, to interrupt us. Um, the next thing I would say is that we need to understand. So the next thing I would say, and I, this quite, might sound quite simple, but we're doing way too much video calls, way too many. Um, and people are very tired at the end of their workday after doing many, many video calls. And there is this belief out there that the reason why we're tired we're getting so tired from doing so many Zoom calls and meetings is because of the lack of intimacy. And actually, it's the opposite. The, the, the truth is, and I, I can see you nodding your head, I imagine you, maybe you've, you've read this also, like the, studies that are, the studies show that we 
we right now you and I actually have our video cameras on, even though this is going to be a podcast that's done on audio. I can see you and you can see me. And I, uh, you know, uh, you seem like a very nice guy, but I don't know you very well. And I'm looking at your face close to the camera. And the only people that I look that closely to are my closest friends and family. And our human brains accept friends and family being that close to us, whether it's video or in real life, looking that closely at them. But, but it's an overdose of intimacy if we're spending hours every day on video calls with many people watching us and us watching many people. We're getting tired, not from the coldness or the lack of emotion. We're getting tired from an overdose of intimacy. So switching, we should be switching off our cameras way more. Um, we shouldn't be having so many video calls. For example, for me, what I do for my meetings with my team is we switch on the video at the beginning to check in, say hi. You know, it's nice to see everyone's faces. And then cameras off. Sometimes if I'm, if I'm the one that's speaking, I'll leave my camera on. But, you know, there's no point if we're doing slides, even if we're just talking to each other. Cameras off. We don't like 80% of the meeting, 90% is done with cameras off. And then we put the cameras on at the end to say goodbye to each other. So it's kind of checking in and checking out. We turn on the cameras. So um, that would be the next thing I would say is be careful with cameras. Um, the final thing I would say, and I suppose again, I, I mean, my, my work and my, my, my company's work and classes, I, I think we're kind of well known for being very practical and hands-on. Um, not theoretical at all. Our, like our, my great belief when I design my courses is that it should be immediately implementable. If that's a word. <laughs> you can like you can implement it the moment you hear it. And of I course, that. The- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I, I, there is theory behind it. I mean, rest assured, and I can share the theory after the class, and I do in the handouts. But I don't get into the theory too much in the course because people just want stuff that they can begin using right now. So. Um, Anyway, so the, fi- the, final, the final thing I would say in getting very practical is get yourself a good microphone. Um, people think about cameras all the time. And, you know, uh, and people often ask me after my courses, what camera do I use? Because I've got a pretty cool camera and it makes me look very good. And I've got lights. But actually, it's way more important to have good sound because sound is what we're most sensitive to. Um, in our video conferencing. I mean, we don't look at the screen so much. You know, we don't, we're not looking at people so much when we're in our video conferences. We're actually looking at slides. We're taking notes, but we're constantly listening. We never switch off our listening because we're plugged into earphones. So get yourself a good microphone and that will make your presence come across even, even better. I think also here, uh, I think your aspects are really spot on. Um, I think also um, what I said the last the last uh, months to to my bosses was that at the end, if everybody works from home, you are in the, in your own little spot. Uh, at the end, the connection with other people gets lost somehow. Uh, it's it's kind of feeding out, and it really requires a lot of, let's say. Um, constancy a lot of self-intrinsic motivation and a, and, a, and a strong relationship to to maintain it so uh, all these five little minutes during a coffee break grabbing a coffee or, or walking to the next meeting that are not just there and i think that are the the little moments where you talk with your colleagues with maybe your team look how was the birthday of your of your daughter what is uh, how was the 
last week you had uh, you had a big a big birthday party. This kind of talks that are missing. Of course, these days it's quite common that you do kind of a coffee break or a coffee meetup virtual. But I found it very artificial. Now you have half an hour to talk about what what you do in in your leisure time, and I think that not really yeah. uh, how I want to call it uh, nice. It's kind of a forced socializing, which uh, I think is not really uh, appropriate. Nor it really mm. engages the same way like like we would have uh, maybe a quick chit chat on a on a coffee, uh, getting grabbing a coffee. And I think these little mm -hmm. moments, together with the different aspects you mentioned, uh, makes it so hard for leaders at these days to to keep the emotional connect to to the staff, which is so important because they need also support. I think you as a leader are even more required these days than 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 even before. Yeah. So I mean, I agree with you completely about these 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 types of dynamics. Which so so. So one of the things that we do in performing ideas is we design events. Um, I'm an ex I, I, I call myself. I find it hard to define what I do actually because I, uh, I, I kind of in, I feel like I invented my job for myself because I, I started off. I studied philosophy. I was a writer. I was a theater director, um, and then I like in my thirty in my my early thirties. I kind of stumbled into this world of uh, executive education and leadership and then I found my place and um, uh, but I don't really yeah when people say what do you do I, I find it hard to, <laughs> I find it hard to explain what I do because I do I do many things um, when you asked me at the beginning to define what I you know tell me tell the world tell tell everyone about myself in 30 seconds I always go oh god what what do I do I'm a consultant am I I have a company uh, then so what I also tell people is I'm a I'm an experienced designer which sounds very fancy and uh, what that means is I design events now the, most of the events that I design are my own events so what do I mean by an event sometimes that's a, a workshop sometimes that's um, an expert meeting um sometimes that's like for example let me like i designed an event for mobile world congress this year in barcelona which got cancelled eventually but they went ahead with my event which was for um i, I was i was i was asked by a group called the digital future society dfs which is part of mobile world um to organize an event for 200 participants it was a public private um partnership so we basically we had politicians and we had um, people from NGOs, and we had um, leaders from 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 companies coming together to to discuss the future of um, the future of, uh, of big data, the future of transport, the future of cities, the future of the environment, and and I designed that. So I've got a, as I say, one of the other areas that I work in is in, in innovation, and I do workshops on moonshot thinking, on futures thinking. So we did a futures workshop and uh, and so I designed, I call it designing an experience because they come together. We were face to face. It was just before, just before COVID really hit. Um, and we had 200 people face to face and bringing them on a journey, on an experience where they together, they built different versions of the future. Um, um, Oh yeah, why am I why am I getting into this? <laughs> I forgot what your question was. Uh, why why did I start telling you about experience design? Uh, ah yes, because you were telling me about the um, about these get-togethers, these virtual get-togethers exactly. for beers. Yeah. 
so 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 I was like, uh, you know, I I do a lot of experience design, and we did, and and we're kind of well known for doing highly interactive, you know, very well designed face to face events. And in the last year, I've had to completely change that and 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 become a designer of of online events, which thankfully has worked out really well for us because um, I think there's a lot of work to be done in designing good online events. So we've been very busy doing that for the last few months, as you can imagine, and. Um, uh, and like, that's one of the things that I would never do. Like, I hate those, honestly, yeah, I hate those like virtual water cooler, coffee drinks. And, and, and you know, people do their best and they, they, they hire a platform like Verbella or one of these, like where you have avatars and you have people walking around and like, there's a disco and dancing. I mean, I don't know. I've met very few people that have enjoyed them. It's very, very hard to recreate that atmosphere. However, what you can do and what I would always recommend leaders to do is to check in with their team, but on a one-to-one basis. Um, have a quick telephone call um, and just check in with them on a telephone call. And this is really easy because I don't know about you, but have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're WhatsApping or you're in Microsoft Teams chatting or in Slack and you're chatting over and back with one with a member of your team for about five or 10 minutes, writing sentences and answering, answering sentences, like if you get into a conversation like that, that's gonna that you get you you have the feeling this is gonna go on because there's a lot to be answered here. Pick up the phone and do it spoken, you know, speak to them. And I think this is because then you 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 do two things at the same time. You answer their questions, you 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 manage to get done what's needed to get done, but you also get to check in with them and you get to maintain that connection with them, that emotional connection, if you wish. And you also find out about stuff that's going on in their life. So Whenever um, I find myself getting into a yeah a, a Slack or a WhatsApp chat with a member of my team or someone that I know, I I always pick up the phone and ring them because if if you know, obviously if they're if they're if they're available to be chatting to you, they're probably available to pick up the phone and talk to you. So it's a good way to to um, to keep in touch with them, and it also overcomes that problem of like call, like cold calling them. You know, not, it's, it's so rare these days that we actually phone each other um and you know often you know if, so if you just phone someone they might not pick up but if they're online chatting to you in slack then phone them and then they're probably available to speak i, I like that actually i have a rule so three lines of context uh, would mean for me an email one line would be a, a chat and if you need really more than three lines you pick up the phone because there's no way out that uh, you need or you can bring this message with a clear, uh, with a clear objective, uh, let's say via an email across. So it's always easier to to phone and, and to outline what is your your need, your desire, or whatever. What is the task you want to want to perform? Another aspect yeah. that I wanted to touch base is uh, very interesting: uh, a virtual, let's say, conferences. And I I have been invited. I think the last year to so many different formats and and many at the beginning in particular has been just copy of 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 physical um conferences which i my own experience is that that that, that never really worked out very well uh because it would be just a uh let's say a um a line of uh, a lineup of of one one presentation after the other uh, and uh, what I also have seen quite often were kind of panel discussion setups, 
but I think also here we will we would need to um, put ourselves into the idea that the short term there will be no much let's say physical big conferences in place so i think we will need to learn find new ways and i'm happy that that, that you offer certain services and have experience in that uh, for for virtual let's say conferences that that bring in the different aspects of socializing of getting new insights um and um, uh, of course here i think um, you you bring in a lot of uh, stuff uh, to the table so maybe in in one two three sentences um uh, what are your learnings in particular now for for the speakers or those leaders who have a lot of speaking slots as well uh, or do virtual team meetings um, maybe two three ideas or impulses from from you as well um so first of all uh, I, I like i was involved um as I say, I was involved a lot in designing face-to-face -face conferences as well. And even the traditional format of speakers followed by Q&A is also something that needs to be disrupted immensely because it, do, it, it doesn't work, as we all know. Yeah. Like going to a conference and watching 15 talks one after the other is just you know, terrible. You need, to, you need to switch up the dynamics. So, um, I mean, I've, 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 I had plenty of dynamics for doing that face-to-face. -face. Now that it's online, I mean, there's two, there's two things for conferences. And, and I, I know you asked me about speakers, but I'll, I'll first address just for designers of conferences. Yeah. I mean, the two things that we need to get used to and that we need to take advantage of when it comes to online conferences are one, we need to get more, we need to become more, um, we need to become more used to, or we need to get away from this synchronous. Everything needs to be synchronous, that we have to be all together at the same time. The great thing about digital stuff is that we can we can do stuff asynchronously and synchronously. So pre-recorded content that the audience can watch. So for example, let me give you a this isn't this isn't for a conference, but let me give you a format that I use for my courses, for some of my courses, um, which I think takes full advantage of this digital world, which I think can be applied to conferences as well. Uh, so um, for for any of my courses, my preferred format would be over, let's say, four weeks. Um, you have a group of people, and it's three. They we we they they come in. They they're with me three nights a week, three evenings a week. Okay. Um, now it's only for one hour each evening. One hour, one hour and a half. The first on Monday, they receive a pre-recorded lecture by me, so they get access to a video, and they've got forty-eight hours to watch that. Um, that why, why is it pre-recorded? Because there's no need for them to have to be at the same, you know, log into a Zoom at a certain time with me in order to deliver a presentation. I mean, they can just watch a pre-recorded version. It's also best for me as the speaker, which was your question, because I can make a really top-class version of that with no mistakes. You know, I'm not make, you know, I'm not fluffing my lines. You know, I can record without any great equipment that class or, or my talk, if you wish. So that comes out on a Monday. Then on a Wednesday, uh, and, and I'm talking about, let's say, this is with a group of maybe 60 people, between 20 and 60 people, depends on how many I have. On Wednesday, we all get together, and this is synchronous, and I'm in front of them for one hour and a half, and that's basically Q&A, with breakout rooms, deep dives into certain areas of that lecture that they've all watched from the, from the Monday. And that happens on a Wednesday. And then on the Thursday, 
they go into a breakout room with one of my coaches. So I've got 12 coaches working for, with me, all, you know, all proper professional coaches, all trained in my methodology and know my material. And then on Thursday, you get to go into a breakout, a breakout room. You get to go into a, a coaching session with five or six other people. You get to present the work you've been doing. You get to get to you know the other people in the group at a much more intimate level. You get expert advice from the coach who are all like me, experts on, on the topic. And that's over five weeks. And so even though it's an online course, you end up getting huge amount of face-to-face -face contact with me, who's the designer of the course. You get a huge amount of contact face-to-face -face with your coach. You get a huge amount of contact and getting to know other people in the course and you get all the knowledge. So it's it's a so the reason I'm telling you this is in that course, we're combining the great elements of doing stuff online, being able to go into small breakout groups, being able to have access to an expert and ask them questions and being able to do stuff asynchronously because we can just download and watch a video. I love it, Brian. And I fear we could talk for, for the next uh... 50 days or so uh, I really like your insights and 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 your it really motivates and and drives me so um let's maybe uh, come to an end by by usually uh, what I always ask or want to ask by coming to the end is um what would be your let's say career advice or your your what would would you have said yourself before you started your professional career to become, let's say, a, a leader or a leader whisperer these days? Um, well, I think, never mind becoming a leader, just becoming a, a better person, a more, uh, a more balanced person, uh, a more um, less stressful person, I think um, we is to train yourself in the things that, for some crazy reason, our educational system doesn't train us in. So I would get training, read books, come to trainings on communication, learn how to communicate, learn how to speak in public, learn how to write, learn how to do it online or face-to-face, -face, learn about body language, learn about structuring your ideas. So learn about communication. We don't get taught that at school. Uh, so that'd be the first thing. The second thing is learn how to manage your, your time um, because we don't, you know, we don't get taught time management. So how to manage your time and attention in a, in a digital world where Facebook and Instagram and social media and the news cycles are constantly trying to catch our attention, learn how to manage your own attention. Because if you don't learn how to manage that, you will become addicted to all that stuff. So learn how to manage your attention and learn how to manage your time. And the final thing is to learn how to have what, what I call this digital brain and learn how to manage information, learn how to manage these digital tools, um, email, note-taking, reading online, listening to podcasts like this one, watching YouTube videos. Don't just sit there passively watching this stuff. If you hear interesting things, have a system for capturing it and have a system for turning what you capture into ideas that you can publish to the world because we're all going to have to publish our ideas and have blogs and have websites and have what people call a personal brand, whatever, to show to the world because the future workplace, the future marketplace for work, people are going to be looking for your online presence and they're going to want to read, listen and watch you on videos. And you need to have that stuff prepared.
So those those are the three areas that I would say communication. If you uh, one uh, self management would be the other one, and 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 knowledge management. Wow, Brian, I think that that are awesome summaries of of every leader to capture and to to work against. So thank you so much for your insights. It has been a pleasure having you on the podcast, and um, yeah, looking forward to stay in touch with you. Thank you, Daniel. It was a great pleasure too. It was a really nice conversation. Thank you. Go for leadership. The podcast.